passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Rewind the dynamite from the most restless sight. AW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. Cause we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. Your Wednesday night tradition. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. How you doing, John? What's going on? You know what your nickname could be? Wild Ting. Ah, never heard that one before. Not bad. You know, this this industry gives us plenty of material. Well, thank you. Um, I have enough nicknames, I think. I'm good. This is This is the road to I want to see. Of Tony Khan at like three in the morning, <laughs> just listening to Spotify and saying, F it, get me this song. Like maybe, was he watching like Major League and Ricky Vaughn comes out? It's like, you know what? That's that's our John Moxley. It was either this or the Onita match when he was watching the Exploding Bart Bar death match, which I'm willing to bet. Pro- probably more so. The, reference. Yeah, that would probably be more. Although that, for me, it's always, that song will always be equated with Charlie Sheen. But Onita sure. would probably be more of the uh, the the marriage of this song to uh, Tony Khan. It was uh, definitely a surprise. And um, did oh, it work? Uh, did oh, did oh, you like it? Oh, absolutely! I thought it was great. Uh, it was great when he walked out to it. It was great when he ended the match with it. Um, I just don't want necessarily every single person to get their own licensed theme. You know, I think it's something that should be earned, like only for the very special top names. And like in the case of a Jungle Boy, you have to kind of get that song. But now that we know it's a possibility, it's, you know, who who else? I wonder, like a special song, licensed song treatment. Well, anyone could. Um, It's, um, you know, Moxley had like a pretty good theme. I don't think anyone would have heard that theme and said, oh, this... I guess, you know, something obviously just struck them and thought, hey, this is a, a cool way to go. And it kind I'm of, gonna, to, to your point, kind of builds off uh, of Onita. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Moxley was somebody who needed it the way, you know, like a Jungle Boy definitely benefits from it. Um, you, you could even say that about Orange Cassidy. But I, I, I could bet that like Moxley probably, 
I don't know if he would have loved his own theme. Like, I, I wonder if you asked him, hey, how do you feel about your AEW theme? It's okay, but definitely it sounds a lot more generic than, you know, something like Wild Thing. You know what? He was probably, he's been listening to that theme now for almost two years since coming to AEW. He's probably like, man, this song, so much better than that Shield song. That <laughs> Shield song is, I was so sick of it. I've got a way better theme than Roman. And then all of a sudden, Roman ups the ante. Got the better theme. You know what? We're going down deep. Wild thing. Could be. Could be. Do you remember his, like, <laughs> I'm trying to remember his WWE singles theme now. It, it's like the re- engine revving thing. It goes like, <laughs> and then I don't remember the rest. That's all I remember. When I think of singles run Dean Ambrose, I think of all those goofy segments, like the oversized cowboy hat, the guy that was uh, neat. Was hitchhiking to Stanford, Connecticut, I believe. That was a show long story. Gas mass. Yeah, yeah, injecting himself. Although that angle actually aged pretty well. I mean, he was maybe ahead of the curve by trying to lower the curve. The gas mask angle? Oh, the no, mask. When he, no, when so. he got the injection. Oh, yes. Remember? And the mask. And the mask, I guess. Dude, like he was like a bit fortuitous with that story. So maybe mm-hmm. the creative team deserves a bit of a. You know, some foresight that was on their mind in 2000. When would I have been? 18? Yes, something like that. I don't know. I forget. My short-term memory is terrible. Well, that's okay. How are you doing? Doing good. Yeah, not bad. Um, how are you? Uh, great. I missed you. Uh, was it today or yesterday? You you came over but really didn't come over. You literally stepped on my, my porch and then you don't say hi. You don't uh, knock on the window. Well, there's no, there's no way. I mean, I got this. Here's what happened. Okay. So, so we signed these postcards and then we, you know, send them off to our double, double plus patrons everywhere in the world, of course. And so I ran out and so I needed John to sign a bunch before I took them. And so I dropped them off at his place. And then John tells me, Hey, I've signed all these postcards. Uh, they're ready to pick up whenever. And I said, well, I'm going to be in your neighborhood today. So maybe I'll drop by. And then your response was, I'm just going to leave them in the mailbox. <laughs> when I hear that, I'm like, okay, this guy doesn't really want to knock. No, he no, doesn't no, want no. to. No, he we doesn't have to want have a conversation. Greeting. We have to have this. This this is part of the new world we are entering into, okay? Because I said that so as not to put you on the spot that, oh, hey, uh, like I'll meet you on the on the porch because I could see you being, no, 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 no. I don't want to have any kind of close social interaction here. Because that's, I think that's that's being a little presumptuous during a pandemic. So I was doing that as a courtesy to you to not feel pressured to have to be within close distance to me. See, I got the opposite. Wait, wait, I don't, I, I don't have one vaccination shot in me, okay? I'm the Wild West, okay? Right. Well, listen, it's it, either either case, I'm always open to uh through the window encounter with, with John Pollock or even a socially distanced uh, encounter with John Pollock outside the door. So next time I have postcards to sign, I will, uh, let, you know, don't you don't have to leave them in the mailbox is what I'm trying to say. When you were uh, seeing uh, if you could come by, this was not a text. You did phone me. Well, I was in the car on the way. Well, when I see your calling, my immediate reaction is, oh, shit. That's, I, 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 you would tend to feel that way with a lot of people now these days. A phone call? This is weird. It's especially weird when you get a FaceTime. FaceTime? You know, oh, it depends. I, 
You, you don't who it FaceTime is. people. Yeah, it's it's a very small number that you could just cold FaceTime someone. Like that that needs to be mm-hmm. planned in advance. Yeah, it better be like pretty serious. Yeah, like who knows what the person's doing? I mean, it's just like it's it's really presumptuous to just cold FaceTime someone. Yeah. Well, on that note, if you feel like um eavesdropping on my FaceTime with Sean Waltman, uh, you can do so right now at youtube.com slash postwrestling as well as postwrestling.com. You can either listen to us or you can watch us talk to one another. Um, some nice compliments about this interview. We got to with Sean Waltman. You could talk to this guy for hours and cover so much. Like when I was just thinking about all the different places this guy's been and all the um, important, like, Moments of the past 30 years he has somehow been in the midst of. There's many different directions you can go with. And the guy is pretty open book about uh, a lot of it. So it was, uh, I had never spoken to him before. Yeah, I thought you had a great chat with him. And, you know, it it was really nice to be able to kind of hear a lot about various parts of his career. And, you know, just to, honestly, like, to me, it's a pleasure just to hear him speak with the the amount of clarity that he has today to be able to kind of recount all these stories the way he has. Because, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure he would be the first to tell you, like, he wouldn't know if he would be in this position that he is at this point and uh, hosting a show with with a friend of ours, Nick Hausman, on a was it weekly basis. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like he seems to be doing really well. Yes, yeah, so you can uh, you can go check that out. It's about a, a half hour. Uh, Wei Ting is in the shadows uh, of that interview in the background. I'm outside the window. Yeah, just uh, yeah. You know, peering in, uh, mm-hmm. keeping everything together. So we appreciate that uh, very much. We've also got a uh, new edition of Up Next is on the site. And then the British Wrestling Experience returns on Thursday. Maybe they will have a rebuttal uh, to Cody's promo about... England. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. The England dream. Yes, that was <laughs> quite the promo we'll get into uh, from Cody Rhodes. But the British Wrestling Experience dropping on Thursday uh, with Martin and Benno. And I will also uh, schedule to have an interview Thursday with Les Thatcher talking about the um, Brian Pillman Memorial shows. I thought it would be, um, you know, uh, appropriate given that the Dark Side of the Ring just came out to get some of his thoughts on the documentary. They have also just released the Brian Pillman memorial shows uh, that Les Thatcher is providing commentary for along with uh, Joe Dombrowski. So those DVDs have just been released. So we'll be chatting uh, a show heavily focused on Brian Pillman with uh, Les Thatcher. So uh, that will be dropping on Thursday and on Friday way you will be with Kate from Montreal with rewind to SmackDown. Yes, that'll be Friday evening. And we'll be joined by all of you who choose to listen to us and call in live. A lot of you guys seem to, you know, have um, a lot of great questions for Kate and myself on Fridays, whenever she's on the show. So do tune in. Uh, the chat will always be a lot of fun that night. But in the morning, John, Friday morning on the Post Wrestling Cafe, wake up to Ask Away, the latest edition of Ask Away. It's a two-month-old mailbag that we've yet to dig into. So it'll be a, a pretty long edition of the show answering any and all of your questions. A lot of good questions. Uh, these months, I will say plural, because yes, it was two months worth of questions uh, that Way and I went through. That's dropping Friday. And then we've got UFC 262 Saturday night and 
WrestleMania Backlash Sunday night. So we'll be live Sunday for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe to recap all the happenings of WrestleMania Backlash. We're just several days away. Do you think this will be a yearly thing? They'll 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 promote. Is this WrestleMania back Backlash from now on? Oh, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how how much it works. Do you, you think know, it matters? I, I guess that's I, it. Uh, doesn't matter to you and I, but it's more so for the casual Peacock viewer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and we're probably not going to know. I mean, they might just say, "Oh, we, it was great on Peacock," but. I mean, we're we're not going to get a whole lot of transparency with the success of Peacock unless Peacock discloses this stuff. Uh, WWE is going to keep things to very vague statements and probably uh, only much like with the UFC and ESPN Plus. Like that is kind of one of the realities of the the streaming component is you're, you're not getting you know figures and seeing a lot of how a show performs. And over the long term, it's not going to be, you know, it's really, it's contingent on subscribers, not so much a singular show other than WrestleMania. That's going to be a big mover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are things like Google trends that we might be able to see, but it's, it's not as direct of an indicator. Well, let's move on and chat about some of the news because a lot of the news will be coming out of tonight's episode of Dynamite. Actually, let's let's start with one note uh, from Dynamite because uh, there was an update out there, and that was during the Orange Cassidy uh, match uh, with Pac. Um, Mike Johnson had reported that um, the original idea was that the two were going to go to a 20-minute draw, and Orange Cassidy uh, did injure himself on that Sunset Flip powerbomb that looked, uh, it was like a sit-out powerbomb, really, and it was just, uh, looked brutal. Uh, and then uh, Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful Select has added that apparently Orange Cassidy, they're told, uh, is doing okay, but the audible was called uh, to adjust the finish. Uh, I guess with Omega and Don Callis, I'm imagining that was just totally on the fly that they came up with, but it was pretty apparent if you were watching closely, like that power bomb looked pretty brutal and Cassidy did not appear the same for the rest of that match. It explains a lot of, about the ending, you know, with, and, and how maybe I would say creatively lazy it felt at the time, but knowing that it was all improvised definitely changes the context of that segment. Yeah. I think that you have to look at it. Like it felt like a very WWE type of pattern to get to a three-way. I think given those circumstances, I think you definitely have to give that one a pass. And the fact that they Mm -hmm. could think on their feet to that extent, like this is supposed to go to a draw. Uh, This guy cannot go uh, to a draw. Um, And and that goes again, like it's that, that is a component of, of wrestling is the idea that, Hey, someone might be in trouble here, but we do have to, we have to come to an ending here that explains the story aspect of this rather than just wave off a match. And I guess that was your compromise tonight. Um, hopefully, a, as as you know, Fightful noted, like hopefully he's okay. It's a bad week for Sunset Flip power bombs. Yes, it is. You're right. It was uh, 0 for two in those uh, two instances, but um, nonetheless, the three way like that was what they were going to get to, just going to a draw and. That would also be interesting of what else they kind of had to make make up for uh, later that they were supposed to go. The match went about 14 minutes in, in total. And then you had the the post-match stuff to uh, with, with Shivani out there. Mm-hmm. All right. Ratings notes. We've got uh, Raw from Monday night that ended up doing 
1,817,000 viewers, a 0.53, so not a whole lot of change from the week prior. They were down only 3% in viewers. The demo was identical uh, this week, and, uh, you know, kind of a, a standard number. They fell 10.5% in viewership throughout the show, 7% in the demo, and kind of just settling into a bit of a that 1.8 million uh, pattern that that we're seeing right now. Number one on cable. And I guess for Raw, really the only questions will be uh, once the playoffs begin, what kind of impact that has on Raw, which traditionally does have quite an effect on on the Raw number. They did 177,000 viewers in Canada. And then uh, fast forwarding to NXT on Tuesday night, they did 697,000 viewers, a 0.17. So this was the lowest of the five weeks on Tuesday nights. And after five episodes, uh, they are averaging... 770,000 viewers and a 0. 0.2 uh, 0.20 in the demo. So this this was below that 5 week average and it's you know not gigantic decreases week to week, but you are seeing the slide way and it's you know it's falling into a level where it's you know it's on par with where they were on Wednesdays. Yeah, I guess so. Um, maybe that initial luster has kind of worn off, or maybe people just aren't really that excited about this current cycle of of um, people that they have. Um, I I've been enjoying the shows, so to me, it's like still a pretty good quality show. Um, maybe it's just they're they're really bulking up the next next week. They've got the steel cage match with Gargano and Bronson Reed, but the bigger show is the following week uh, with Finn Balor and Karrion Cross in the rematch. Uh, so they're at least building up these next two weeks with some pretty big uh, title matches. Um, I'm with you. I, I found the shows to be really enjoyable. I thought on Tuesday, two things that uh, stuck out for me. I thought that main event was excellent between Kushida and Santos Escobar. Even with the the commercials that they had, you still got uh, 22 minutes plus bell to bell for the two out of three falls match. And I just thought that main event was pretty high level i i enjoyed it quite a bit and the rollout of hit row was a home run for me i thought everyone looked fantastic everyone got their time on the mic they established the four personalities with uh swerve scott you've got brianna brandy now as a b-fab aj francis as top dollar who had a hell of a freestyle and then mm. ashanti the adonis but to me, just the presentation of the four and the little things that NXT does very well of just how they shoot them, the blocking of it. Um, I, I thought it really shined during this segment. I just thought it was a tremendous introduction of the act. Yeah, to me, it was a segment of the week on NXT. Certainly a great introduction. Um, really great to see that Swerve has finally kind of like come into his own as this character. And not only that, you know, has really managed to bring uh, three other people along with him in what I thought was just an excellent introduction that I think is immediately set to make all four stars. Every single one of them had an identity coming out of it. And I absolutely can't wait to see more. Like it is, it feels incredibly like, you know, current and modern and um, actually cool, which is something that isn't always seen on a wrestling show. So I, I can't wait to see more of them. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on the Ted DiBiase segments? I thought I thought the first couple of weeks were kind of cute. I mean, it's kind of really ran its course by this point. Uh, I think like I certainly think Cameron Grimes got the better end of the deal. Like it just feels like you know Ted DiBiase was like the the dude who's like 
overbids, you know, at, at these auctions and ended up buying a $20 million house that really shouldn't have gone that much. So I really think Cameron Grimes actually did. He's draining Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Ted's going to be broke by the end of this angle. Oh, well, maybe that's the payoff is that Ted's going <laughs> to get foreclosed on. I guess so. I hope um, I hope uh, Cameron Grimes didn't invest in Bitcoin tonight after um, Elon Musk. Maybe, maybe he's going to have to sell some NFTs. Uh, maybe he's gonna have to get into some of that. Yeah, I'm not as uh, I'm not as bullish on uh, on the uh, Cameron Grimes uh, Ted DiBiase story. Right I now. love these but, segments. I I enjoy well, them. Well, I'll tell you who I, I am a fan of is Leon Ruff. Uh, I think that guy continues to really impress. You know, like in the WWE, doing sort of like the underdog small guy gimmick. You only have so much of a shelf life before you're just you're just kind of relegated to like 205 Live or even just being out of the company. But the man certainly is taking every advantage of his airtime to feel special. His intensity that he brings to every one of these segments is like is so fun to watch and really makes him special beyond just, you know, being another guy who like is a great wrestler. Like he 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 is like so scrappy that it just like it makes any sort of interaction he has with anybody fun. Uh, yeah, so it was, um, that was about it. Any, anything else that stood out for you for NXT? Yeah. Um, you know, Mercedes, Bobby, Bobby Fish was back. Yeah. 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 Uh, seems like that, you know, they're not, um, teaming back up, but they're kind of going their own ways with Fish facing off against, what is it? Lorkin or, uh, or Birch or both of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Birch is out. So I guess it'll be him and Lorkin. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, Mercedes Martinez, um, Raquel Gonzalez, I thought had a fine match. It was good. Didn't really kind of like stick with me afterwards, but I thought it was a good first defense for Raquel. Um, Here's the latest of what's going on in Japan, of course, with the the state of emergency extension. We knew it was going to impact a a bunch of cards. Um, Of course, with New Japan, the two stadium shows have been moved. We don't have dates yet for that. All Japan was supposed to have a really big show coming up this weekend with their Champions Night. That's been moved to June 26th. NOAA has canceled its uh, Mitsuharu Masawa Memorial Card, uh, which was set for May 30th at Oda Ward Gymnasium. And Stardom is moving its May 29th card at the same Oda Ward Gymnasium uh, to a future date. Uh, that is the card that was supposed to feature the finals of the Cinderella Tournament that... Um, I wonder if the clock strikes midnight at the end of May, does the tournament have to turn back into its original form and they just start all over again? Why do they call it the Cinderella tournament? I mean, it's just uh, the branding that they have always uh, gone about. And you'd have, uh, you'd ha- like, they kind of like leaned into the whole like theme of it with like the, the dress. And I mean, it's the I Cinderella guess. tournament. So, yeah. Huh. That, that they should do something with that. And the clock strikes 12. Yeah. And I guess the next, um, I, I was, I was l- listening to some stuff just about the, the Olympics and it just sounds, my God, it just seems like there is a contingent that is just, they are adamant about going through with the Olympics and you can certainly see it, but this is, this is really crunch time. And I guess the next thing to focus on is this state of emergency doesn't get extended past May 31st. And at that point we're going into June and that's when, I mean, my God, on the Olympic front, like that's got to be making a pretty significant decision at that point. And, you know, we're talking about for, for the wrestling side, that following weekend's got that big cyber fight festival that um, cyber agents promoting and Dominion as well. So that's just you're talking a week later after the state of emergency 
um, is is set to expire. So it could, if it gets extended, that's going to affect likely more shows. Yeah, yeah. Like when it comes to the Olympics, I I, I do wonder like what vaccinations may play into uh, any sort of solution. You know, at least for the athlete. You know, like you would figure the world will ha- will have enough vaccine supply to make sure that everybody who is competing or is a coach for a team would have enough. But then you get into questions about whether or not that's morally right, you know, to like offer the this this life saving medicine to like these kind of athletes and, you know, and for our entertainment rather than like people, you know, that are frontline workers that are in, in these countries. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about it. But I, I for me, I'm ultimately still leaning to the idea that we're probably not going to see it happen. Yeah, it's like the, the statistics are like the the number vaccinated in Japan. It's around two percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, did you get to hear any of uh, Chris Jericho talk about blood and guts? He dedicated uh, I, his whole show to it today. No, but I saw your recap uh, in today's update in the post. Yeah. So, I mean, it's th- there was, you know, it's, it's quite a bit of like news stuff attached to it. He he kind of gave the whole backstory of it when it was uh, proposed for last year, first in Atlanta, then for uh, Newark, New Jersey, and then pushed off because they weren't going to do it a double or nothing last year with no fans instead going with uh, stadium stampede. And with with this match, with the buildup, he did address like the fall at the end. And, you know, he acknowledges like the the criticism of it, but he was pretty happy with it. He thought he thought the fall looked amazing. He explained the fall and it sounded like he was pretty nervous about doing this bump, which to me, like this part might get like lost in the podcast. But to me, it was maybe the most illuminating part was how he nearly overshot the landing and would have crashed into the lights. And that to me, again, it's, you know, it's funny. It was when Owens and Zayn were on Jericho's show years ago talking about the, the Hell in a Cell bump with Shane. And just like the margin for error in this, like for non-professional stuntmen. And AEW in this case actually did bring in a professional stuntman to work with them. But nonetheless, Chris Jericho is not a trained stuntman. And I know that, you know, it's, it's differing things. I think that people were looking at like the execution of the stunt. And I think that's, that's fair comment to criticize uh, how it looked, but there's also just the idea here of like some of the stunts that are just expected of within professional wrestling that have been introduced, like even looking at the Omega one winged angel last year on Sammy Guevara at stadium stampede, like, yeah, it pulled it. We, they pulled it off great. And it's, it's applauded, but Man, do we ask a lot um, of like what is expected now of professional wrestling stunts at the highest level, and these are not professional stuntmen. Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, and they might be expected to top that stunt at Stadium Stampede this year. Now that they're committing to it again, you almost but, have to do like not the identical thing, but yeah, you have to almost have that gigantic moment in a match like that. Certainly, um, I. But I have to say. In this case with uh, Blood and Guts, I don't think it was expected. I don't think you needed to fall from the top. I think, you know, the type of storyteller that Chris Jericho and MJF are, I feel like they could have come up with just as satisfying, if not even more satisfying, considering, you know, the reaction to the spot uh, of a conclusion to that particular match. If they stayed inside the cage and did something simply out of drama and great storytelling. Um, And especially seeing the way 
that they followed up on the spot tonight. Yeah. I definitely do consider like I definitely do question doing it. Yeah, I think we should save all that for the for the show discussion cuz I I think you and I are on the uh on on the same page there, but yeah, it's it's pretty much an hour of Jericho talking about the match, different ideas, the impetus for the the prison outfits that they came up with, like everything in there. And also noting that uh Santana injured his back in the match and he was not on uh, Dynamite tonight. So um, that was all noted in there as well. So all of your news you can go find at postwrestling.com. We have all the latest up there along with uh, recent interviews, shows. Uh, check it all out. Just wanted to correct, uh, make a correction. Not a Sunset Flip Powerbomb from uh, Pack to Orange Cassidy, but just a Liger Bomb. Yes. Okay. Um, so let's go into Dynamite and discuss uh, this whole show. So we had... Shots at the beginning of the show of John Moxley and Yuji Nagata warming up and Nagata then making his walk out to the ring with Ren Narita. And this is Yuji Nagata's first match on TNT since the summer of 1998. Yeah, okay. A different, no, a different... it's cool. It's it's cool. It's cool whenever they bring up like, oh, this guy hasn't been on. Like, it's cool when they bring up Sting hasn't been on TNT since like such and such. It's less impressive when it's Yuji Nagata, who like I don't necessarily associate with TNT um, to begin with. But yeah, sure. Why wouldn't you bring that up? They're on the same channel. Yeah, I don't even know how many programming opportunities Yuji Nagata had over the last 23 years to appear. He wasn't in a random NBA game in the crowd? No, no he, he wasn't at a, an Atlanta Hawks game. He wasn't on a... Um, what else is on TNT? <laughs> he, he wasn't... <laughs> I'm just thinking of like the, uh, yeah, the different uh, comedies he could have maybe uh, appeared in. Can you but, name a comedy on TNT? Like what... I don't watch anything on TNT other than the odd basketball game. So I really would not be the demographic that could give you a deep dive into, you know what? Forget that. I'm thinking of TBS too. I don't even get TNT, yeah. so I can't tell you anything. <laughs> John Moxley and Yuji Nagata. This is our introduction of wild thing. Uh, there was a huge response from Nagata and then Moxley's out uh, with Eddie Kingston. Uh, they showed Rocky Romero in the crowd and they just get into it here. Uh, there's a shot of Jake Roberts and Lance Archer in the stands Moxley is delivering kicks to the chest of Nagata, and then Nagata comes back with a running boot in the corner. This was definitely assisted by the crowd just really being into the aura of Yuji Nagata wrestling here at Daly's Place. He hits the exploder. Uh, then Moxley goes for a rear naked choke, which is broken, and Nagata goes for the Fujiwara armbar with the eyes rolling back. Moxley to the rope. There's an Insiguri sliding D by Moxley, and he goes for the bulldog choke. Big striking exchange, and then he drills Nagata with knees to the head before the paradigm shift for the win. In 8 minutes and 30 seconds, Moxley's cut on the cheek, and both men raise their arms at the end, and Moxley is still your IWGP United States champion, his fifth title defense. I thought this match was just great. Um, first of all, I, I, I mean, the match itself, maybe not completely special match of the year standard by New Japan or AEW standards, but I don't know if they were setting out to do that. But it was more so the circumstance and the the, the quality within that circumstance that I thought made it, made it so special. You know, the atmosphere was great. Even though we've seen Mox in New Japan plenty of times facing against New Japan wrestlers, seeing this in AEW felt like 
several of the, like the great Japan America dream match crossovers of the past, like Joe Kobashi or like seeing Liger in NXT, seeing like this kind of like, you know, veteran of uh, this other company in an AEW ring for the first time. It felt very special. And I also really loved that like they clarified that this was being held under New Japan rules and that like Excalibur went as far as to like uh, call Mox's finisher the Death Rider in Japan. It's like this kind of like clear acknowledgement of these organizations that makes something like this feel real. It felt felt like it was a co- cooperation between two sports leagues and really helps me suspend my disbelief that they're not bullshitting me about anything besides the fact that this is a choreographed fight. But I thought Eugene Agata looked great too. It was such a fun match. It was, you know, it was not like a lot of like basic stuff, like Yuji Nagata, like you can see like the level that he's at even compared to a few years ago, he's, he's slowed down, but he was, he was in this, like the audience loved this. This to me was a perfect example of just the novelty of someone that an audience doesn't typically get to see in person that really added to it. This is the perfect audience that is going to be super amped to see a Yuji Nagata. And I think it just is a taste of some of the of many of the matches you could create by having this policy with, with new Japan. And it doesn't just have to be your giant stars. I think if you were to, if you were to bring over just, just about anyone, not everyone, but most, I think that you would be able to get that. Like imagine a Minoru Suzuki. Like this was just like a taste of that. And this worked uh, terrific. I thought. There are definitely certain people that I think um, are seem more valued in a special attraction role outside of Japan, New Japan than within New Japan themselves. And Yuji Nagata is definitely one of those guys. Like, you should you should consider moving here permanently, just because I feel like he'll get booked way better in AEW than he would in New Japan. Uh, but you know, Minoru Suzuki is another one. I do feel like you draw the limit though, because um, I don't know how well received um, shit like. I'm telling you, Toriano coming over here for a match? Dude, the people would go nuts for Toriano. Oh, yeah, for sure. But what about, like, Yujiro? Maybe they'll go crazy for Yujiro, too, actually. Mm, I I don't know about Yujiro. That that might be a really, like, we're going to be polite kind of pop. But I I don't know if Yujiro would be. There are plenty of people on the New Japan roster, no doubt, that'll get this type of reaction. So I hope they keep this going. I mean, at the moment, it still seems to be just a John Moxley special he has the keys to the forbidden door and nobody else seems to, but I, I hope they are somehow able to expand it. I hope I, I was like, I don't know where Sh- Shota Umino is at the moment, but man, there's a part of me that got excited. Cause I thought Ren, Ren Narita, I, I thought it wasn't Ren, Ren Narita, but, but uh, Shota Umino. Marvez is in the back with Ortiz, Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara. And Ortiz cut a promo saying that Max showed his true colors, pull, pushing Jericho off the fence. And then he got Santana arrested and detained. So that is our explanation for Santana being gone. He was arrested for stabbing MJF with a fork, which he called a bitch move. I really like that cover up. It it achieved so much, you know, in one line. It made Santana look vicious for using the fork and it made MJF look like a snitch. So well done. Hager says that Jericho and Santana are still alive. They failed because you didn't kill them. And they want another match. They are not going to stop. And tonight, they will change the coronation of the Pinnacle to the funeral of the Pinnacle. And Tony noted here that Jericho has a dislocated elbow. 
Mm-hmm. True or not? What do you think? Like I mean, Jericho. Uh, Jericho said like he mangled up his arm, and there was no there was no storyline. Um, well, I mean, there was the attack on the arm on the, on the top, but I mean, afterwards it was it was more so the bump was kind of your your takeaway from that. Like I, I would I would sense he's being tr- he's like Jericho does not really play up storyline on his podcast. Hmm. I mean, there might be the odd time, but it's I would imagine his arm is legitimately. Uh, there's something wrong with it. Hmm. Uh, Cody Rhodes comes out. So this promo, he starts off by talking about things such as the two-party system in America, the recent election, but he comes from a state where Snoop Dogg and Leonard Skinner occupy the same jukebox, and he is proud to be an American. Anthony Agogo has run down America even though he has a visa and earns money from the U.S. Treasury. The argument is what makes us who we are. There is anger in every pocket, but our empathy outweighs our anger. Now, I'm going to pause here. The first half of this promo, dude, I did not know what this guy was talking about. I, Yes, he was draped in the Union Jack in the last angle. I do get that. Anthony Agogo has hardly been this anti-American heel on television. I guess we can understand, okay, you were put under the flag. But this, <laughs> dude, just the the message, okay? Okay, you're going towards Anthony Agogo. He's anti-American. But, like, this was just all over the place, and I don't know how people were taking this. Agogo has been, like, throwing in lines about America in the midst of these um, nightmare... Sorry, what do, they, what do they call them? The family? The factory? The factory. The factory promos. But they are so kind of like fleeting. They never, ever really make that much of an impression. So I definitely understand like how somebody could come into this and just feel like Cody. His response was, you know, and so big that it feels like this whole nationalism thing really just kind of came out of nowhere. And um, I certainly feel like even being draped in a Union Jack wouldn't necessarily prompt um, a well-balanced human being to respond in this way. Like, all the dude did was, like, lay a f- flag on you, right? But um, he, he responded like Dusty Rhodes would have in, like, 1983. Against, you know, like a foreign Russian, you know, like... Against threat. Pac Song, yes. Yeah, against a foreign threat that, you know, after weeks and weeks of, like, you know, spitting on the flag or something like that. I don't think they did enough. And, and the Ogogo being anti-American in the midst of an American stable thing, being led by QT, never really worked for me anyway. So, um, yeah, that was, I think, maybe one of the issues of this. Yeah, this was this felt like this was like Dusty Nikita Koloff kind of um, a theme to it. He says that Anthony Ogogo didn't come here to live the England dream. And then puts over um, significant British wrestlers like Doug Williams, Gabriel Kidd, and Pac. Went into some Willie Nelson lyrics and then referenced Bruno San Martino as an Italian-American and his lengthy title reign. And then talks about segregation. And soon, his wife will give birth to a beautiful... He, he put over like great Americans such as Bruno San Martino and Shahid Khan. 
as the other one. What oh, he talked that's, about. that's right. Yes, yes. He had that reference as, as well in there about how to he which came I, from, to which from I, Pakistan. To, to which I feel like I heard a few boos like in the crowd. I'm not so sure. But yes, he worked in a Shahid Khan, Great American line in there. So, yeah, he was like this. This was quite the promo of like a lot of stuff that you were throwing out. I think by the end, like he was able to get this message, like when he talked about, you know, him and his wife are about to get, give birth and wants his child to know, uh, you know, th- this this got the crowd, but explain that he doesn't want his child to know that he just laid under another man's flag. He got up and fought back, which I don't know if if the child would be that would be the biggest concern. Of the child, how did well, you I mean, how did you lay under this flag? This would be like what fifteen years down the road. Well, who knows what a what a child may ask. I will say, I mean, I think the promo would have worked a whole lot better if it was like an anti-American stable that, like, for weeks on end, was doing something far bigger to kind of like, you know, uh, insult um, Cody's American values. This was not enough to warrant a response like this, and I. Just I felt somewhat uncomfortable hearing like some some of the things that Cody was kind of like bringing up here about segregation Um, as much sense as I think maybe it makes, you know, for his character. It just didn't feel uh, appropriate on some level for uh, kind of like quickly put together pro wrestling angle. And I'll say, like, I think at this point. A lot of Cody's babyface promos almost sound too much like he's trying to do like the big movie scene from Braveheart rather than maybe something that feels a bit less rehearsed and in this case, you know, less rushed. So it came across just a little bit disingenuous to me, like too, too, somebody relying too much on his acting class ability to make me feel rather than a story that actually warranted the feeling. Yeah, it was like trying to elicit that emotion out of people and it, it culminates at the end. Where, you know, he he wants to show his child that he gets up and will fight back. And that fighting will occur at double or nothing with full capacity. And Anthony Agogo, for one night, is going to face the American dream, Cody Rhodes. He delivered the ending. I thought it, it was very strong in the lead up to this. Like, it reads very cliche. Um you know, the, the beginning, I can certainly see a lot of people taking, the, like, the content of this promo. Like, in, in 1985, this is a babyface promo that's, that, if Dusty Cut is tearing the house down, this is not 1985, and, and Cody is a very different character that, than Dusty was. Um, so I, I can certainly see that. Uh, it, it just seemed like this was one where he had a lot of ideas in mind, but I, I think there's going to be divisiveness to this promo. I love the idea of him, you know, like donning the American dream name, you know, for one night only. I think for a pay-per-view, it's a great attraction. And you can understand the the reason for this promo. He needed to justify a way to get to the American dream. Yep. Uh, and, you know, in that sense, I thought it was successful. I think it's a great way to spotlight a go-go in a high-profile match that people are going to pay attention to because of, uh, you know, the content, like you know, because of the, the gimmick of, of the nickname and, and because of a promo like this. Uh, so the end result is great. Um, I, you know, it, it just didn't completely work for me and it d- doesn't sound like it did for you either. What theme song do you think Cody will come out to? Willie Nelson. Maybe Tony Khan's yeah. got that one on standby. Yeah, I think that would have to be part of it, right? Cause he can't just be like, 
I'm called the American dream. Like that can't be it. It's got to be something recognizable that is like, you know, attached to Dusty Rhodes. Well, he's he's not coming out to uh common uh, man. Common man. He's not coming yeah. out to that. Um but who knows? I mean, I I don't know what uh Tony Khan's uh what publishing rights he's been able to nab. So I mean, it could be anything. Maybe a Snoop Dogg remix of Common Man. Yes, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe a remix uh by Common. <laughs> sure. As long as Downstate is attached to it, I think uh, I think a Downstate <laughs> cover of Common Man is what we need. Uh, then they showed. I was glad that they incorporated this the, the Road Two clips with SCU uh, to build up the tag match. I was very curious the placement. I thought this could have ended the show, but given how they had to set up stuff for the Bucks after, uh, I guess this made more sense to go in the middle. And I actually thought the layout of this show was actually match wise. I thought I thought it was pretty well put together. I thought so too. Yeah. So the Bucks against Daniels and Kazarian. If Daniels and Kazarian lose, they break up forever. Don Callis is on commentary. And early on, uh, Kazarian and Daniels hit Celebrity Rehab, which was clearly the first time Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone had ever heard the name of this move. Well, I guess uh, they they don't watch too much. <laughs> like Tony calls Dark Elevation. I guess he ha- hasn't called too many <laughs> SCU matches, I guess. So Daniels gets shoved to the floor and the big spot is Nick super kicks Daniels head into the post. And with that, a faucet opened up and was spraying out of Christopher Daniels head. Mm-hmm. So splash yeah. works here on the, on blood, the floor. Blood and guts. I mean, when it comes to bleeders, uh, Daniels is up there and they had no reservations here. They're double teaming Kazarian who stops more bang for your buck, gets a rolling cradle Matt comes off the top, is caught, and we get a simultaneous Northern Lights suplex uh, with a bridge along with a rolling cradle that they escape. And Gallows distracts the referee as Kazarian has the inside cradle and would have the match won. So they get screwed here with the ref distracted. Then Kazarian hits a Styles Clash to Matt, and Nick dives from the stage to break it up. Uh, Kazarian continues to fight on his own. Matt lands a super kick, and this is when Daniels returns. And he gives the big comeback with the angel's wings onto Nick, sending him out, tags himself in, but Matt spears him, goes after Daniel's wound, and then the super kick is avoided. He tries for the angel's wings, it's blocked, and Daniels is just dripping blood all over Matt's shoes. And Matt's furious. His his Jordans. Man, this was a this was an expensive blade job. I guess so. Well he his shoes will never be well, he could sell these shoes on auction, I bet, and well, probably they're worth more now. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah, that's yeah. Here. Michael Jordan would probably want them. So Matt does the big animated "I'm sorry, I love you." Hits the super kick, but Daniels kicks out. He fights back. He hits a urinagi, and then he goes for the BME, and he slips on the ropes, recovers, and just does it again. This might be the all-time example. Of if he legitimately slipped, it totally worked. Yeah, veteran, absolutely. I don't know if I've ever seen this this dude mess up the BME before. 
and you know maybe call it poetic but it somehow had to happen in like arguably the biggest match he's ever had in this current AEW run but it absolutely worked in this circumstance the announcers were right on it you know like that that that, that amount of blood loss i mean you can absolutely understand a guy slipping so it, it, it totally worked out daniels knocks down carl anderson off the apron and with the referee distracted Daniels gets sprayed with the cold spray by Matt and gets nailed with the can for another near fall. Kazarian is placed on the stage and finally the Bucks hit the BTE trigger with Nick pinning Daniels while Matt prevents Kazarian from making the save. And that is the end of Daniels and Kazarian. Um, I am sure that there are some that are going to look at the the, the continued pattern of like excessive blood on these shows. I can understand that as like an overall issue, but I, I thought this was great. I I thought this was like, I, to be honest, by the end of this, it's like this probably should have been at the pay-per-view. Perhaps, perhaps, um, maybe for some reason they don't think it's as attractive enough of a story, or maybe they have something else planned for Daniels and Kaz. Well, the they do. They have thing. like Moxley and Kingston is the bigger match. I do yeah. get that. I think you, I thought this was pre- this felt pretty big though as well. Like I think mm-hmm. like this, it came it off felt, as really significant. It felt big in the this week. I and, and Road Two and BT probably did a whole lot, you know, to to help that. But um, it's not like they've given SCU that much screen time leading up to Dynamite. This almost just felt like a way to you know move the story aside so that they can move on to whatever else with uh, Kaz and, and Daniels. But I agree with you. I thought it was a great match. And despite, I think, you know, what may, may be at this point an over-reliance on blood, this was a match that absolutely benefited from it. Uh, Chris Daniels, just like he, his character with this big of a stipulation, I think needed to bleed. And it absolutely worked and helped the match. I really have an issue, though, with how quickly they cut away from the moment at the end of this match. It felt like TNA, like they, to the back. They took the loss and immediately we cut to the back where Moxie and Kingston are attacking the, the elites locker room. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who didn't give a shit about that at that moment, because a, a stipulation that it was supposed to be this dramatic and emotional, you needed to see Chris Daniels face. You needed to see a lot more of Kaz's reaction and then, like, they're cutting back to the live arena as they're going to break. And you hear this crowd chanting, SCU, SCU. How about a shot of this incredibly genuine moment? You know, it this final screaming. It was screaming to show them. Yeah. I think, yeah. like, believe me, there's – it is. Like, there was so much packed into the show. There's no way you could tell me that we we could cut out part of the Christian and – Christian and Matt Seidel, that segment could have just been thrown up on YouTube or Twitter or over the next week. Um, it really did need that moment at the end of just keeping it for a minute on the, the, the loss of these two and really letting it digest for the audience because the, the live crowd was all invested in it Mm -hmm. and you, the viewer wanted to see that. And I have to say, like, I, I understand that they'll likely follow up on this with another segment afterwards. Perhaps it's the idea that they want to drag out this breakup, but it's not going to feel the same next week, you know, after these two have just fought this war, this moment in the ring. Like, no matter what you do, even if you're going to do the legit breakup next week, I think it needed to pause on this a little bit longer. I still feel Dynamite still has, like, an, an ongoing issue of moving too fast as a show. It's a show that I think, especially in an instance like this, could really use breathing room because I thought it, it absolutely minimized the importance and emotion of this scene. 
Yeah, they cut to the locker room where Moxley and Kingston destroyed the elite's dressing room. We did go back and they did do the hug with Kazarian and Daniels, but it was fleeting. And to me, it brought me back to so many memories of, of TNA where it was boom, 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 boom. And the the finality of a big angle of a big match, it was like you couldn't even digest it. You were on to the next thing. And it was uh, that to me was a, a longstanding problem where... You know, over time, angles didn't didn't resonate. They didn't click because you didn't you didn't allow them. Like you've done all the work, now it's time for the audience to really just uh, sink in and and see the effects of all the work put in. And I, I thought you missed on that. It's an in, you know an instance like this, and maybe you even kind of throw something like what happened last week between the awkwardness between MJF and Chris Jericho on top of the cage. Like these are elements of production that I think AEW still has to uh, perfect. That I mean WWE typically does extremely well. Um, we come back. Dasha interviews Christian who responds to the technique by Taz segment and makes fun of Taz at a buffet table. And Taz won't back up his words like him. He has an open contract and suggests any member of team Taz answer and sign the open contract for next week. And then brings up at double or nothing. There is the casino battle Royale where the winner gets a future title match. He's entering the match Matt Seidel walks in and says he's also in the Casino Battle Royale and seeking redemption from last time. And they make fun of his slip from last year, and Seidel informs Christian he has signed the open contract. So it will be Christian against Matt Seidel next week. Thought a good promo from Christian. Not as good of a promo from Seidel, but I thought it was fine to set up the match, and I look forward to it next week. How about Christian's... Christian's tan. Did you did you notice that? It was uh my goodness. Um did it look that much um more than usual? This guy was uh this guy was like the literal interpretation of Orange Cassidy. He is from Orangeville, isn't is he not? Oh he he was representing <laughs> Orangeville tonight. You're right. Way better. You were on top of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from Orangeville. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, Edge pretty much uh doing that same representation uh i don't you know this this christian team task thing is is um it's moving slow and it doesn't feel all that hot but we still have some time to go it doesn't seem like it's going to peak at double or nothing with this uh you know battle no he's he's in the battle royale the battle royale yeah so we still kind of have to wait to see like you know christian in like a really big program and you know i do wonder what like uh ricky stark's injury may have how that may have affected these plans Right. Yeah. He is, uh, he has a neck injury and he's going to be out for a couple of months. So that, that, that's very true. That was what they were building to. Like that felt like the next uh, chapter in the feud was Christian and Ricky Stark. So I imagine that that probably caused some changes. Orange Cassidy against Pack is the next one that we talked about earlier. Uh, Cassidy comes out and sends the best friends and Chris Statlander to the back and he places the gla- the sunglasses onto Pack, who proceeds to break them. And then Cassidy hits the beach break and gets a two count immediately. Puts the hands in his pockets and hits this tope suicida, landing on his feet, and has another pair of sunglasses that he places on himself. They go to a picture-and-picture. And I did like that for the opening match, we got the New Japan rules of a 20 count. Well, apparently, during this picture-and-picture, we got a different 20 count because they must have had... uh, a warning of about 20 minutes that they would have been allowed before. Dude, they were on the ground 
for like three quarters of this commercial break. I watched it. They just like hell. They were just on the floor the entire time uh, up until maybe they had 30 seconds left in the commercial before they returned to the ring. And then they go back to the floor when we come back from break. It should be a rule. Match can't end in the middle of the commercial. Well, I guess the time just freezes then, which would have screwed up if they were going to a a 20-minute draw, I guess. Jim Ross states they don't know how close they are to being counted out. I think they do, JR, and I think they feel they have a lot of latitude here. So Pac is in control. Um, He goes to the top, and Cassidy rolls his way under the turnbuckle and puts the thumbs up. And this is when Cassidy gets destroyed by a super kick, and then you get the the Liger bomb, this brutal sit-out power bomb that just folds Cassidy. And he rolls out to the floor, and you're thinking... Either this guy is selling so tremendously or he got rocked and it looked to be the latter. We go to a second picture in picture. Aubrey is checking on Cassidy. Pac is just stalling and stalling in the ring, playing to the crowd. And that's when Don Callis comes out and says that Omega is busy. We need a winner. And that's when Omega appears, belt shot from behind. Aubrey misses this. Both are down and the bell is called at 14 minutes, two seconds. And Callis says, since there's no winner, that means no opponent at double or nothing. Therefore, Kenny will get the night off, who calls them both losers. Um, hard to kind of judge this match because really, once you had the uh, the Liger bomb, this this match was effectively over. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to grade this one uh, completely, you know, except for to to be able to talk about, I think, the improvisational skills of everybody involved here in this angle uh like you just you could just imagine the chaos on the headset as everything was going on um you know i'm amazed it came off as well as as it did like you could like i i cannot criticize in this Mm -hmm. uh, situation um like between kenny between don and tony shivani you know all playing their roles and of course with with pack as well so yeah, it must have been an incredibly chaotic scene backstage, but uh, man, that's live TV. But it also like it's also another instance of um, you know, like if they simply expose the truth, would that have really been that difficult? Because um, they did have to get to the three way, so I guess this was it. You know, I, I, in the end, like we we often talk about like should pro wrestling. When an injury like this happens, should we at that point still be putting up our guards of, you know, trying to maintain the illusion or should we simply drop the illusion matches over deal with it afterwards? In this situation, they they chose to maintain the illusion. And I thought, you know, still seemed to be managed to do it safely without, you know, further injuring the person that was hurt. Um, But is it does it set a bad precedent? Well, I think for me personally, when it's when we're talking the head or the neck, I'm ready like. To me, the I don't care about the story. I don't care about the objective. It's to me like that that aspect of the industry. I think we're past that. This audience is past that. I think you can just be straight up, and this is this is not worth um, risking. Like in this case, it, it appears that you know Cassidy was okay, but to me, it's like he's the priority. We have an injured party in the ring. That's the priority, not the pay per view, not the ending of the match. You figure that stuff out afterwards. So I would have been completely fine if right after the spot, it's like, okay, he's in a bad way. We're calling this off. We'll figure it out after. Would WWE have today, WWE of today have ended this segment the way it did tonight? 
it depends on like we've seen examples over the past couple of years. We saw Goldberg and Undertaker in Saudi Arabia. They kept going. We've also seen, you know, lesser matches where they have called things off. I think it's I think it's a crapshoot. I don't think you can you can predict what what they're going to do in certain situations. Mm. And Shivani comes out here and informs Omega it'll be a three-way match. They freak out and the post match you could see here they they had a, a totally different camera angle like they weren't on the hard cam and they were just staying on pack and right at the end you see a shot of the best friends coming out and then we cut to the elite in the locker room reacting to Moxley and Kingston and this was when the young bucks uh they said that they're going to defend their titles next week against the number one contenders, the Varsity Blondes, and then make the challenge to John Moxley and Eddie Kingston at double or nothing. These are quite the fighting champions here. Um, they have a lot on their plate. I mean, yeah, they they feel invincible. Do do you see them? Um, do you see this being a reaction to all of the attention on Brian Pillman Jr. that you're going to do this TV match next week and? Like, this is a, an opportunity over the next week to really tell Brian Pillman Jr.'s story and build off of all of this press that, that he has received since Darkseid last week. Could very well be, yeah. They've added a, another member to their roster. They have uh, Julia Hart, I believe, is uh, their new cheerleader as part of the Varsity Blonde. So um, I definitely think they should be building on that momentum. I really, you know, it doesn't seem like they have uh, plans for a big story for Brian Pillman Jr. or the Varsity Blondes heading into the pay-per-view, but I'm sure they're not... Um, ignorant of all the great press that, you know, Brian's appearance on Dark Side of the Ring received. And this is going to be their most high-profile match next week. Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. a huge spotlight for, for both of them. And hopefully that comes with, you know, the Road 2 promotion, maybe some BT promotion as well. I think so. Yeah, I think for sure. Marvez is with Hangman Page and Dark Order, and Hangman Page has fallen in the rankings after the loss to Brian Cage. He's gone from number one to number five, which seems like a... That's a that's a stiff drop or one loss. Yeah. He says that it was more so Taz that beat him than Brian Cage because of the, the underhanded tactics. And Cage should not be satisfied with that win. So he tells Brian Cage, he challenges him to leave Team Taz in the back and meet me one-on-one to earn your spot. If I lose, I can accept my spot. But for you, Brian, it's double or nothing. And in the line of the show... John Silver, with this look on his face. Oh my God, that's the name of the pay-per-view. Dude, I laughed out loud. This guy is it fantastic. Was, it was great. Like, it was the type of thing, I think, you know, we we can compare a lot of elements, like, across the wrestling shows, uh, whether it be production or whether it be comedy. And this felt like something that they would try to script for Matt Riddle that would come across terribly. And yet, seeing John Silver delivered here in this context, it absolutely worked and felt just very funny so yeah this was great i loved this one it was just it was it felt so natural and just it was great like the timing was was perfect it was a very very funny segment or at least end to it the pinnacle is out mjf's got a crown and they're decked out with all these women and we get a replay of the jericho fall and making its debut on AEW. a showbuzz daily screen grab Identifying oh, yeah. them as the course. number one show of the week. I was <laughs> waiting for like an insert promo from like Brandon Thurston to break it down. 
Somebody needs to make like a show, but like they should turn that into a T-shirt, just like a show Buzz Daily Wednesday chart. I can't believe no one's done a show Buzz Daily shirt yet. Like maybe that could be MJF's his now that he's proclaiming himself the demo god. Maybe he can steal that one. Wow, wonderful. And then like all, all the people, it's just like wrestlers' names instead of like TV shows. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> MJF proclaims himself the king of AEW, the new demo god. Everyone should bow to the pinnacle, and they are the reason. They were the number one show on cable last week. We even broke a record on TSN in Canada due to a Canadian hero named Sean Spears. Hilarious. He asks, do you want a rematch? And the people cheer. He says, no, there will be no rematch. And then... The microphone is handed off to Tully Blanchard. And he just talks about being on top when you can look down at all the other talent. I've been there. And when you quit in one of these matches, that's it. You're out. The pinnacle is now on top of the world. And they get the finest things in life. The most beautiful women. And I have a present. I spent thousands of dollars on this present. He got them all expensive Watches, not just watches, way expensive watches. You are now on top of the world. Dude, this was Tully Blanchard in 1986 fine form. This was him reminding people that he was the only positive two minutes on that Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view because of that promo he cut. Dude, this guy he, he was, was fantastic the here. Show. I thought he was about to lose his voice, man, but... Uh... Definitely would have been energy. worth it. If he wakes up with nothing tomorrow, this was worth it. This is the promo you lose a voiceover. <laughs> yeah. He was great. Yeah, it's cool. Then we hear this honking sound, and you think that Moxley and Kingston are about to, like, ram into the ring. But no, it's Ortiz, Hager, and Guevara. I don't even know what to, to describe this vehicle as. It was like this tractor trailer that they were coming it was, in with. It was like a truck with, like, a some sort of hose attachment on yes, top. with a hose attached to it. And they note that Santana was detained, and MJF says, we are never seeing Chris Jericho again. But with that, we hear Chris Jericho on the speakers, and he emerges from the back of this truck, left arm all in this big brace, and he demands a rematch, which MJF turns down. So in response, they fire off this hose into the ring, very reminiscent of the Austin beer hose on the corporation. Beer truck, the milk truck, yes. Yes. Um, so MJF, everyone gets doused in this, in the water. MJF is furious, so angry from this water that he's no, willing to No, it's not make. water. It, it's bubbly. They had oh. a little bit. Oh, they had the sign. You're right. So this was, it yeah. was, it was, it was the bubbly. It was, a, it was not just it was water. It was a it was a bubbly truck. Yes. Yes. Sorry. It was a bubbly truck. I don't want to get uh, my my details mixed up here. So they're they're covered in the bubbly, and MJF demands the match will happen at double or nothing, Stadium Stampede two, and if the Inner Circle loses, they break up forever, and Inner Circle is left to decide if they will accept this challenge, which they presumably will. For several weeks from now. 
You know, I, 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 I really look forward to seeing a sequel to the Stadium Stampede. I think creatively, the the batch of people they have here will continue to knock it out of the park. Um, I think it's a great step to announce for you know what will probably be your last appearance at in Jacksonville, or at least at at Daily's place, place for a pay per view for the upcoming future if they are to you know start touring again. Um, but does it does it work with a, a capacity crowd? They will have to adjust it. I think they, you know, especially you if you have to have more of a live element than last yeah. year, obviously. I think it, it, the expectation likely will be that this will again main event. And I think considering expectations from last year, considering the rest of the card this year, I think it will main event. But I think it's going to have to start. Well, probably will start from the back, but it's going to have to have a lot more integration with the live audience if it's going to be a full crowd. But it could be just as exciting. Um, anyway, but, but all that said, I really have issue with Jericho appearing here. I really don't think they should have done the fall last week. Not only did it look not the the way I think they intended, not only did it sound dangerous, according to Chris Jericho himself, and therefore not worth the risk, to have Jericho not even sell the fall for a week, I thought really minimized the importance of a stunt like that. And how um, dastardly it was by MJF. It's like mm-hmm. it didn't it like there was more of an effect on Santana being gone uh than Jericho this week. And mm-hmm. I just I just look at it as well of your first blood and guts match. What did the pinnacle achieve last week? Yeah. That we're going back and it's and Stadium Stampede, granted, they can do a totally different tone to it, but it's got to incorporate some comedic elements. That yes. I don't think it would be Stadium Stampede if you don't cater to that. And I just think that once Stadium Stampede is done, it does kind of put blood and guts in the rear view as just this setup that did not have these large consequences to them. It did not have the performers selling that impact. It's rushing to this one, and I feel that it was... I really think the decision should have been made. It's either one or the other, and it's either TV or the pay-per-view. I think the way this has come off, it just feels as though I, I was much more um, positive on the outcome last week, whereas this one, it just it just felt like that's that's over and done with, and we didn't, like, what did the pinnacle achieve last week if we're going right back to the drawing board? Well, we should... I think also mentioned, I think the reason why they maybe decided to, I I hope, you know, part of the reason why they decided to rush Jericho's return so fast is because of the NBA playoffs. You know, effectively, they don't really have three episodes of Dynamite left. They really just kind of have like two, you know, this week and then the week after on a Wednesday. The next two will be moved to a different day. So I I understand the the desire to announce your full double or nothing card early. But I still feel like at least having that one week of Chris Jericho being away, having the rest of the inner circle really kind of like down in the dumps, suffering the loss, selling the loss before coming back for, you know, like like some somehow like growing from the changes and coming back with the challenge, I think would have done a lot better for story. Um, but maybe they they were kind of up, up against the clock here with the NBA. Um, I, I do I do think that this should maybe be the end of the inner circle though at at Stadium Stampede. Like you really? when you when you have a lo- a heel faction that runs the gamut and then you do the babyface turn, 
It's like that's when you put all the cards on the table. And that babyface turn, it, it's like the crowd has hated this group for so long. You give them the babyface run, but it's got to be short. And then that's that's kind of it. They did it with the shield. I think that that's like this could be the time to kind of wrap up the inner circle and they go their their separate ways. But again, interesting. but again, it's like the if you go with that finish, like I think it puts so much more on Stadium Stampede and Blood and Guts is sort of just in in the rearview mirror. So I, I I had a lot of the same reaction as you with with Jericho back one week later, and it was like we saw this spectacular fall, and yeah, the the arm is screwed up, but that was not that was not related storyline wise to the fall. That was all that happened on the top of the cage with the salt of the earth. So I just thought it, it kind of did minimize that. And maybe, yeah, they're working with other factors timing-wise to get this card together. Uh, but, I mean, for, for you, the viewer, like, you're assessing this in terms of a story being told and not having to go by, you know, programming decisions. Mm-hmm. Jim Ross did his sit-down interview with Britt Baker, and they mentioned uh, the highlights of last year's match with Hikaru Shida, where she broke her nose, and Baker said... You can let the pain hurt you or let it change you. Now I'm the baddest bitch on the block. And the monster that Hikaru Shida created is now going to dethrone her unless you kill me. And I'm pretty hard to kill. Just like TNA. She said, then they showed footage of this photo shoot for Forbes involving Tony Khan where Baker got involved and into this shoving match with Hikaru Shida And Baker explained very calmly to Jim Ross that once those photos come out in that magazine, it's going to be after the pay-per-view airs. So I wanted the current champions to be represented. And thus, I inserted myself in this photo shoot. She said... I thought that was awesome. (laughs) It was great. Great heel logic. And also a great way to promote this upcoming Forbes article. Like, it's a great way to humble brag while still trying to work it into story. Great job. She said that Hikaru Shida kept this division going over the last year when it was on life support with uh, people being away, with cancellations. She says she is the pulse, but you don't need a machine keeping anything alive when once you have a pulse. The division will live on its own when she becomes champion. That she guarantees. So she's taken the division off life support because it doesn't need to be on life support anymore with her as its pulse. I probably wow. butchered this recap, but it was a great, I thought she was fantastic in this segment. She was so great. She is at just a level, I think beyond uh, so many in the company, men, men or women. Uh, she is fantastic. It's her time. Uh, and I thought JR was great here. You know, he, he does a great job laying out these story elements and serving them for the performer to react to while delivering everything in a, with like great, believability as if it's not a story but just a man who is actually having a conversation with somebody i think like these segments are continued to be jr's like biggest on-screen strengths thus far in this AEW run um you know if stadium stampede wasn't headlining the show i can see them making the case for this being the top match especially if it's kenny like in a three-way not necessarily in like a major title defense um it won't be, you know, it still maybe has a bit of a ways to go, especially on the Sheeta side of things who, you know, is very kind of well-liked, but I don't know if she has like the superstar presence at this point just yet, but I, I can see them doing it like second from the top from Stadium Stampede. So 
I was glad that they did this after because we immediately end this interview and cut to Thunder Rosa coming out, which I don't think was a coincidence. And Excalibur mentioning that Britt Baker did not mention Thunder Rosa at all. So they, they are at least acknowledging that Britt Baker is completely ignoring the lights out unsanctioned match. My issue, though, is that the company has also completely forgotten about this unsanctioned match. And it's like you had... Like, you could argue that was one of the the most well-received main events this year that AEW has had. There was so much coming out of that episode and the performance of those two. And instead, this is the, this is literally, that happened March 17th. We are now May 12th. This is the first time Thunder Rosa has appeared on Dynamite since that match. And it's, to me, totally out of sight, out of mind. And I just think that it's, like... Britt Baker got all like she was booked as the winner coming out of that, even though she lost the match and Thunder Rosa, I just think has been, was completely forgotten about like too much. So like, this is a show where so much happens, especially when we're just going to put this completely on the back burner for two months and then revisit it. Well, with Thunder Rosa, I'm really unsure maybe what her, um, you know, continued obligations to NWA sort of present for AEW here. They are spotlighting her in this instance. I mean, I would, I think they're likely spotlighting her for a rematch against Serena Deep, or, or she'll likely win the title back. But um, I, I have a feeling some of that has to do with it. You know, in the end, she is not an AEW wrestler. She is a full-time NWA wrestler. If that's the case, should you have not made the argument that maybe Baker should have just won that match? Again, I don't know what sort of um, agreements they might have had, you know, for something like that. Um, maybe that was part of the agreement to loan Thunder Rosa. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm merely speculating. Um, but I feel like if Thunder, Thunder Rosa at this point was a full-time AEW star, they would have her appear every week. Like, clearly based on this, I think, like, they're going to revisit this at, in the future. I just think, though, the last two months, I think you had to hit on it a bit more. Um because they were totally reopening it here with this commentary. Um, and this was just a showcase for Thunder Rosa uh, beating Jasmine Allure in a minute 55 uh, after nailing a short, shotgun dropkick, shoulder breaker, fire Thunder driver. So just kind of reintroducing Thunder Rosa and kind of keeping her in the background here, um, which, I mean, you could argue that, hey, she has this win over Britt Baker. If Baker wins the title, you've got a challenger. But if that match doesn't count, is that a claim to go for the championship. Like, what are we allowed to uh, reward someone for? That is a very good point. Well, they did mention she is number two ranked. I, I guess that somehow makes her eligible for either the NWA championship or the AEW Women's Championship. Um, but it seems to me like... She's going would, for the NWA title first. Is She would of, go for the NWA title, and then maybe you do the rematch with Baker, where Baker wins this time. I don't know what, what happens with the titles in that situation, but I definitely think we'll see another match. Next week... Uh, speaking of the NWA Women's Championship, it will be defended by Serena Deeb against Red Velvet, the Young Bucks against Varsity Blondes for the tag titles, Christian Cage against Matt Seidel, and Anthony Agogo versus Austin the Machine Gun. I don't think it looks. Gun. I don't think it looks good for Austin Gun. We got two machine guns on the show. Um. Well, I was more so uh, referring to Tommy the Machine Gun, who I think oh. was that's where I was going for. Um. Uh, yeah, I think Austin Gunn is going to be the fatality next week. 
How how many seconds before this knockout? Let's go with eight. Eight seconds. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be a bet. Bit. Yeah, unless he's wearing like a D'Lo Brown's chest protector, I think it's uh, going to be about a few seconds. And then double or nothing, uh, we've got the three-way for the AEW title. Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker, Cody Rhodes against Anthony Agogo with America at stake, and Hangman Page versus Brian or Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. Yes. Page and Cage. Yeah. Page and Cage. That's right. And the Casino Battle Royale as well. Um, Jade Cargill is interviewed by Tony Schiavone. The latest to recruit her is Mark Sterling, who represents MJF and said got him to be the highest paid in AEW. Jade handles her own business. She's listened to the offers, but she is her own boss. I'm that bitch. So she turned Mark Sterling down. Is that what we're led to believe? Well, she's listening. She's listening, but she oh, so handles Mark's, her own business. So Mark it's kind Sterling. of like in contention, in contention, but not really. Yeah. Okay. We go inside into the passenger seat with Darby Allen, who has driven home to Seattle where he grew up to remind him of how far he's come. He says it's trashy, but I love everything about it. Miro spoke of glass ceilings, but Miro, what have you done since you've been here? You've been playing video games. Then you became someone's best man. The whole world was going to see what you're capable of with the leash off, but I don't buy what you're selling. The people know who Darby Allen is, but do you know who Miro is? You generic son of a bitch. <laughs> you are not taking this title and you will know that I'm one of the toughest men you have ever faced. You generic son of a bitch. Generic son of a bitch. Is he that generic? I wouldn't say so. I think he's a pretty unique personality. I think he's pretty unique too. I would hardly call Miro generic. Um, certainly when he was doing the video game thing, he was unfortunately not generic enough. But um, I don't know if I would call him generic. But I certainly don't know if that insult is on the level of emo face paint daddy. Emo face paint daddy, I think, is is in contention for, like, best insult of the year. And the main event is the TNT Championship match. I really like that they have slotted all of Darby's matches in the main event. I think it has resonated with people who perceive him as a main eventer. Um, he, he has proven to be someone that keeps and grows that audience. I, I think it's been tremendous handling, actually, of, of Darby Allen. So I, I was glad they put this on last. I was curious what they were going to go with this or the tag titles, but I think they made the, the right choice. So Miro goes and attacks him before Darby can even enter the ring. The bell doesn't ring, and he destroys him. He takes him to the floor. Paul Turner asks, can you go? Darby's like, are you fucking kidding? I got thrown downstairs last week. No, I'm out. I'm done. Bell rings, and then Miro goes after him. He strikes Allen and thinks he's won, but it's only a two count. Darby fires back with shotgun drop kicks on the floor and then hits the goddamn most insane Tope Suicida. This was like a like a missile with his shoulder. This guy will kill himself on one of these spots one day. It was insane, dude. Absolutely insane. It was nuts, yeah. And we've seen, seen some, like, we, we see some, like, amazing Tope Suicidas. Like, we've been spoiled with our Tope Suicidas, you know, as of late. But, like, this Darby Allen one was, like... Like, if he doesn't uh, full-on get stopped by that shoulder and grazes oh. past him, dude, he's out. He's going into yeah. that guardrail, and he is not getting up. 
Yeah, I don't know if you can run faster and jump oh my God. harder than somebody doing this. It, I don't like these spots. Yeah. I do not like these. Um, so then he goes for a coffin drop to the floor, but it's caught and hit with a released German. We go through the commercial break, and during the commercial, Ethan Page distracts Sting at ringside, so Scorpio Sky chop blocks him. Thankfully, they replayed this when they came back, because this would have been too much going on during the break to uh, where Sting is laid out, but they did replay it. Miro has got Darby's paint all over the side of his head, so this guy looks like a zombie from the other world. He just looked insane. Yeah, it was great. It's gray it, paint it, it, all over him. And then when he like looks at the camera and screams, like oh my he God. he is so awesome. He is fantastic as this like monster. Alan breaks out of this body lock and applies a choke. Miro gets to the rope, and then on the floor, he's on Miro's back and starts pinching his nose. So Miro drills this guy into the wall with the injured shoulder that's all taped up from last week. In the ring, Darby Allen is like Tinkerbell. He needs life from the people. And he needs life from Sting. He fist bumps him back to health. And with that, he charges up way. He's like your phone, your iPhone at 10%. And boom, he just gets a power surge. And with that power surge, he pops up, stunner, goes for a coffin drop, but it's caught with a waist lock. He lands on his feet from the German Code red for a two count. And then he goes for the arm. Miro stops it and gets the back game over as he leans back and the referee stops it. Miro is declared the winner. He is now 7-0 and and the new TNT champion. I thought this was a great match. You know, whether or not Darby was injured going into this, I think it was the right time to make this title change. Miro was fucking amazing here. To me, he played like an excellent Brock Lesnar level type of monster in terms of intensity and ferociousness and having an amazing underdog like Darby Allen just brought out the best out of this particular Miro character. Um, I certainly don't doubt that this shoulder injury is probably a lot worse than Darby's letting on, but the fact that he was able to still have a match of this type it is incredible and maybe, you know, is, is cause for some concern down the line in the future, but he... He's just been a spectacular performer. Great story, great comebacks, great presence for Miro. The only issue that I don't think worked was the magic dap from Sting. This, no, this would a, work. This would work in a fight. This was silly. Like it was really, really corny. Like a match. Like it felt like, um, like a Disney. I don't know. Fuck. It felt like ET. Like you know, touching. E.T. touching Elliot and like it was weird like it felt really out of place for like a character I think as I don't know maybe grounded uh, in in uh, maybe adult realism as Darby Allen um, but everything else was great I mean this was utterly spectacular this match also scared the hell out of me at different times dude like I, I don't want to be a broken record but I'm like watching some of this it was like my my god um Darby's a spectacular performer. I mean, it's just like jaw-dropping to watch this guy, but it's also like um, insane at at times as well. Um, You know, I was watching this and it was like Miro looked fantastic in this match. I think like this will help him greatly. I think this gets him up and running. Um, 
But I definitely think like like they have something incredible in Darby Allen. I don't think the title is, you know, make or break for this guy either. I think like you, he is a made guy at the top level in, in AEW that I'm not too concerned about it, but it was also, um, you, you certainly could have argued um, to continue this reign. Like you had multiple options, but it was a spectacular, spectacular match. I think you can, you know, whether or not, again, it was planned. I think Darby should heal up, uh, take, take as much time, continue to do his videos from home. While Miro has this uh, excellent reign, has the spotlight on him for a while, and then you build up to the rematch. You know, Miro versus Darby could be a pay-per-view match. I I mean, at the end of this, I mean, I got the sense that, like, they're probably shooting for Sting and Darby against Paige and Sky. Yeah, yeah. I, because possibly. it looks like Lance Archer and Miro is the direction for the TNT title. Right, right. Perhaps. Sky and Paige return to attack Sting again, and this is when the Dark Order ran out. And then Lance Archer is out, and he's held back by Jake while pointing to Miro. So that that seems to be where things are going next, which is a totally different style of match for Miro than what we just saw. Uh, but that that was dynamite. Um, there there was some great stuff on this show. There was also stuff on this show that I, I thought are um, that I was not so big a, a fan of. Like we went off. You know, we talked about like kind of the follow up to, to blood and guts. I just think the the stipulation to me it required more, um, just the fallout and the impact of what this match had on all parties. Like they came out of a war, and and now we're on to the next the next big match. I just thought it was too much of a breakneck speed to go from one to the other, and I don't think a three week gap to do one match to the next. I don't think that was enough time. And I think that was just trying to slot too much in. And I think Jericho, he needed to miss to me minimum a week, minimum a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so that um, the Cody promo was going to be hit and miss for some. And like just recapping this, like our recap, God, we spent over an hour recapping this show. It was a lot. There was a lot of stuff on the show. I'll say by the end of it, it's like you're almost forgetting that Daniels and Kazarian split up. Kind of true, yeah. But I mean, AEW's kind of like made a name for how, for its pace at the moment. Um, you know, again, it's it's better to have a lot to talk about than to have nothing to talk about. Um, I'll take we, listen. This it was a very strong show. I'm not yeah. c- uh, comparing this to like Raw, where it is just we are scratching by. Um, but it, it like it's it's a packed show, and that's got its benefits and its negatives. Like I am mm-hmm. never I am never bored during the the show. It's mm-hmm. But it's a lot, yeah. and I just wonder for the person that is not taking notes on this show, like you or I, what are what are the top three things at the end of the show you're thinking about? Because I guarantee it's not every, you're not not every segment is leaving you or you're left with at the end of the show. It is only going to be certain moments that really stick with you. Well, they are crafting a show designed to make you not change the channel. They're crafting the the type of show that, you know, you will stick on because you... They, they are crafting a show so that you can't even go reach for your glass of water to take a sip. Oh, yeah. Oh, trying to take a piss, like, during this? No Forget way. it. No way. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's 7.59. Like, they're, not, they're not leaving. <laughs> they're, they're chaining you to this show for two hours. Oh, totally. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the style of show. And you know what? Last week, it really worked out for them. They were number one. Um, creatively, you know, that's what we're here to comment on. And I, I, I agree with you about the, um, uh, inner circle stuff. Um, I think, you know, unfortunately, Orange Cassidy and Pac happened the way it did. 
Uh, so really, you know, tough situation for them to be in. And um, what else? What else was there on this thing? Uh, Eugene Nagata was on the show. <laughs> yes, that was great. Main event was fucking great. Uh, a lot of really good stuff on this show. Dude, so dude, I, we I, got we got three. I thought uh, of the five matches tonight. I would say like three of them were, were three awesome. of them yeah. were fantastic. And Cassidy and Pack. If you didn't have the injury in there, twenty minutes of them that would like the wrestling was great. It was great on this show. Yeah, absolutely. So Britt Br- Baker, tremendous segment. Like this was, it was still a very very good show. Um, but but not without its criticism. Yes, exactly. Let's go to the forum. Uh, we got a lot of uh, feedback here. The show gets a 7.11 out of 10. We'll start off with Johnny. Uh, it says, Nagata versus Moxley and Young Bucks SCU were fantastic, but this has to be the most uneven dynamite I've ever seen. I get the importance of the American Dream moniker, but the whole USA versus foreign opponent really just gets me to tune out of a program and makes me want the opponent to win. But my biggest complaint of the show is the ending of SCU versus Bucks. SCU lose and hence must break up a monumental moment and they get less than a minute of camera time to let the moment breathe and let us all feel the emotions before we cut to the back for a spot that could have been saved for later. This felt like TNA back in the day where big victories would just get 10 seconds and well, time to cut to the back for no reason. Also, Jericho coming back way too early. In the end, the unevenness of the show had me tapping out early and finishing RE8. I'm not familiar with that. I think that's Resident Evil 8. Oh, okay. I'm only on three. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, good to good to see, like, um, we weren't the only ones who felt that way about the SEU Moxley thing. And uh, Oh, it was, it, people, like, complained about that. It was, you know, you wanted that to breathe. That was like the whole story is, you know, it's the emotion that you hope if the story works, you don't want to see SCU break up. There's an emotional attachment there. So once it happens, you want to see the, you know, let the performers show you the gravity of what has just happened in real time. Mm. We go to Noah from Vaughn who says such a fantastic show tonight. All three title matches were really fantastic. The card for double or nothing is already looking amazing. I'm so pumped that they're doing stadium stampede one more time because once they go back to touring in July, it'll be kind of impossible to do that match again. A triple threat for the world title should be incredible. And I'm hoping Cassidy is okay. Lastly, Merrill winning the TNT title is a great outcome. Darby has accomplished just about all he can as champion and will be just as over with the fans without the belt. Mirror winning and immediately setting up a potential match with Archer has me super excited. Okay, Nick writes, uh, I really enjoyed the Bucks against SCU. The elite still aren't clicking for me as engaging characters. Kenny was especially over the top. However, that triple threat could end up stealing the show at double or nothing. I feel equally disconnected with Cody and that promo did not help things. It'll be interesting to see what a go-go can do in ring, but I hope Rhodes goes, goes in a more meaningful and focused direction after the pay-per-view. I know it might be a bit too soon for some, but I love the idea of doing Stadium Stampede with the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle. Fighting it out in a 70,000-seater stadium feels like the only legitimate step up from a War Games match, and it will be intriguing to see how they incorporate a more serious tone into the bout. Sean from Albany. Great episode of Dynamite. I felt like they could have done with more of SEU's breakup, but I understand the timing with the pay-per-view and wanting to get Mox and get get to Mox and Kingston. It just felt like a weak climax to a five-month angle. 
The bubbly truck has been done before, but no fault in playing the hits. Everything else on the show was great, and this is shaping up to be the pay-per-view that will make us all forget about the bomb that wasn't in the deathmatch a few months ago. Darby's position in the main event is secure, even without the belt, as long as he's going to continue to make everyone's offense look amazing. Now that there's no Wednesday Night Wars, it is nice to be able to see both Dynamite and NXT be able to operate without having a counter-program. I know others have said this before, but it still seems like the biggest compliment I can give AEW. I might disagree with some of the booking at times, but I never feel like my time is wasted watching their show. Oh, and I'm glad they told that they told us that the U.S. Championship match was going to be under New Japan rules. Do do you feel? Do you sense any change in the show now that they are unopposed? Not as not especially. I mean, you've heard Tony Khan explain that they can now you know focus on some more like profile pieces and and stuff like that that you might not have gotten in the past because those were you know segments that typically kind of would send viewers away and i mean and have they have they that much more i mean we t- we got tonight, some of the scu tonight we got, but we got some of the scu stuff um you know even that much i i think that you could look at it's they're still fitting like a lot into the show i i mean i can't see any like gigantic wholesale changes um uh, other than you know small things like i don't think like i never saw the, the dynamite as a show that was necessarily like really all you can look at is it was always a high level like in ring show and it still is i mean that is still going to be the the bulk of your content is bell to bell time right true shane writes uh i really enjoyed the show tonight since moxley retained i wonder if eventually omega will go after that title as part of his belt collector gimmick at the start of that cody promo I was like, wait, is he running for office? But by the end, I thought it was great. The SCU Bucks match had so many shenanigans that I wonder if they really will stay broken up. I think it's 100% they will stay broken up. I do not see them reneging on that stipulation, nor nor, nor would I. I think this is the time to split them up. And honestly, like we talk about how there's so many characters on this show, like this might be like a numbers game that Daniels does take much more of a just behind the scenes role. Uh, unless you want to just keep him active on dark or elevation, but like he has other duties with the company that like this, this could be, you know, winding, winding things down for him. I think on the way out though, I think, you know, it's his chance to really help Kaz be elevated up until that singles uh, um, um, level. That's a, a lot more significant than where he is at right now. Um, I definitely think you probably get a Kaz Daniel feud, Daniel's feud in there. I will say it's a bit of a misstep to not have Scorpio Sky say anything at all about any of this. And seeing that he's involved right now with, you know, another program, I don't know how much he's going to be involved in this feud with the three of them. And we did get acknowledgement from uh, Daniels on BTE that like, Sky technically is still a part of SCU. He's just kind of off doing his own thing. There's no formal breakup there. So I don't know. I just feel like that this whole this whole thing might have been able to uh, be handled a bit better. We go to Kenny who says, I wouldn't blame anybody who hated tonight's show, but I loved it. Yes, there's too much blood. The world title program stinks and the pinnacle getting sprayed with bubbly is a rehash of an overdone spot that made everyone involved look dumb, but I don't care. I was really entertained for two hours. Nagata was great. Mirror and Darby were great, and SEO versus Bucks was some of the best in-match storytelling in a while. Nine out of ten show for me. Okay, let's do one more. Uh, Kate writes, uh, AEW, both the performers and the company seem to be moving at an unbelievable speed all the time. That means that there are going to be some hard bumps, like Cassidy getting a smack on the head, or Christopher Daniels slicing his facial artery, or speeding through the final moments of SCU. 
Uh, going at hyperspeed, though, also means that every show feels jam-packed with entertaining stuff, and if some parts don't appeal to you as much, it won't be long until you'll find something that does. The Moxley Nagata match was excellent, as was the tag, and Darby is just so good fighting big guys. I also loved his promo, and it made me wish that we had another week to build to him versus Miro. Which, I mean, the Darby segment would have been another example of something that, I mean, that was, you know, two to three minutes that they spent that I think is it's a great benefit for a lot of these matches when you can add something like that. Like that to me helped as opposed to just relying on the Miro promo from last week. Uh, adds that I really hope that after uh, Umberto Carrillo and Orange Cassidy, I won't have to see someone injured on live TV for a very long while. Uh, not entirely Dynamite related, although they did mention it, but the stipulation for Thunder Rosa's NWA match against Camille is one of the dumbest I've ever heard. If she loses, her punishment is that she has to work only for the NWA. Someone at that company needs to work on their self-esteem. I haven't seen the episode, so I can't really comment about the context, but on the surface, it it does sound that way. Like, it's it's a pretty poor way. Well, I should say it's a pretty great way of showing how much your talent wants to escape your company by preventing them from doing it. Um, and, and a baby face, uh, no less. So yeah, I don't know on the surface. It doesn't sound like it's all that great, but I've yet to see the show. All right. That's all the feedback we've got. So thanks to everyone for leaving us your thoughts on dynamite and that's going to wrap things up. So do check out ask away this Friday, the big mailbag covering the months of March, April, into May, we've got a lot of lot of questions to get to. So uh, look out for that if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And then uh, enjoy SmackDown on Friday night, way. Yeah, with the aforementioned Kate from Montreal. And, of course, anybody who's out there listening to us who is a patron of Post Wrestling, postwrestlingcafe.com, live access at 10.15 p.m. on Zoom. We'll be taking all of your calls about really anything, not just SmackDown, but uh, AEW or Dark Side of the Ring, which uh, I uh, assume we'll all be talking about with Kate as well, uh, talking a bit about Nick Gage. Yeah, I think we're going to see more blood on Thursday night in a, in a wrestling more. sense. Yeah. Uh, and then... Right after UFC 262, Phil Chertok and I will be live uh, up on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. And then Sunday night, right after WrestleMania Backlash, Way and I are back for more. So we will be live for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons. We look forward to speaking with you then. And that wraps up Rewind to Dynamite.